Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today uncharacteristically indoors. We've had some appalling weather. We're midway between three storms, I think. So we've abandoned our trip onto the hills. Uh, we're actually in my house. But I'm here with author and illustrator Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. You're dry. I'm dry. And I'm actually on a sofa, which is so far so good. Oh, dear. Is that a sign of things to come? Possibly. Right. Today's podcast, Mark, we're talking long, long walks and big challenges. Ah, yes, I have read many books in the past about people who've done these things, and I've thought to myself, that's a great idea, but I'm quite content to have a day on the hill. Yeah, okay, so you like your day on the hill, don't you? But today our guest is an adventurer, walker and author who's best known for climbing all 1,001 mountains across the UK and Ireland. Uh, He's got the fastest known record for climbing the Nuttles, so we'll hear a bit about that, I think. And also, for many years, he was the fastest person to do self-supported Round of the Wainwrights as well. So this is somebody who's got multiple uh, records behind him. He's a fellbagger. Mountain Man is the name of his book. Who is our guest today, Mark? Well, we've got the pleasure of Cockermouth-dwelling James Forrest. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I think I first came across James about three or four years ago, read his brilliant book. I thought, why haven't we spoken about fellbagging? Because I don't think you're a fellbagging necessarily, are you? But I definitely am. (laughs) When I first moved up here, it got me out all over the lakes. It was a really important part of my life. And it's a really important part of so many people's lives who love the lakes in particular, I think. And, you know, mainly we're talking about the Wainwrights, aren't we? But, of course, the Fell Rangers as well, Mark. (laughs) Yes. We should not ignore such things. And the Burkitts. Yeah, absolutely. I love finding roots and discovering new ways of admiring these wonderful fells. So that's my driver. And everybody has their own propelling inspiration. And I believe James has got that very evident in his activities. His book covers... The moment when he decides that he's going to quit the nine-to-five, he's not particularly happy in the job that he has and the life that he's built around himself. And he quits it all. He comes to start work on a Lake District hill farm. And after that, he settles in Cockermouth, and then he starts these incredible adventures. And that's very much the word here. Moving away from one's normal day-to-day life and getting out into our great landscapes here and doing incredible journeys, particularly among hill country. So that's what we'll talk about today. We'll talk about these long walks, the highs and lows of it, that amazing round of the Wainwrights, and what he's learned about not just the fells, but himself by doing all of these things. So um, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm going to take a back seat here, Mark. I'm looking forward to it too. Fabulous. Well, let's uh, start today's conversation with James Fox.
Well, elements have not been very kind to us over the last several days, and certainly today we're at the tail end of another wind, Jocelyn. We're confined to the interior of a very comfortable farmhouse, which is rather pleasant. I'm uh, relishing a conversation with James Forrest today, and it's lovely to see you, James. Could you give us a little bit of a feel for your fell-bagging achievements? I'm best known for walking 1,001 different mountains across England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland. It was a three-year mission that I started in 2017 and I got obsessed with these different lists of hills across the UK, these peak bagging lists, and I ended up doing the Nuttles in England and Wales, the Munros in Scotland and the so-called Vandeleur Lynams in Ireland and Northern Ireland. But my real love is the Lake District where I live and I love walking the Wainwright. So I'm really excited to talk to you about peak bagging and everything about it. For a short period, you have the unsupported record for walking the Wainwrights. Yes, so I walked all 214 Wainwrights in a single walk. It took me 14 days. I was camping high in the fells and it was brilliant and terrible at the same time because of some rather horrific Cumbrian weather. But I wanted to do that because I thought it was the ultimate Lake District journey and it was an incredible adventure. I'm sure we can talk about it. Absolutely. The fells get to your heart and soul on a journey like that, I'm sure. Normally, of course, we'd be out of your favourite fell. We can't actually do it today. Where would you be if you were? Oh, such a difficult question. There's so many that I'd want to pick. And I feel like whenever I'm asked this question, I give a different answer every time. I love Great Gable. I love Helvellyn. I love Blencathra. I like the dramatic mountains. But I would actually choose Hope Gill Head because when I moved to Cumbria, I moved to Cockermouth. Hope Gill Head is really prominent on the skyline and I climbed it so many times living in Cockermouth and it kind of has this slightly more personal, intimate meaning for me. So a bit of a left field choice perhaps, but a Hope Gill Head from the Vale of Lawton would be my choice. Fabulous way up by Ladyside Pike and that lovely little scramble near the top, which makes it all... Very special, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a nice little scramble, a bit of excitement towards the end before you get to the summit. Shame we couldn't do it today, but maybe next time. You've given us a bit of a feel for the adventures you've had, the challenges you've taken on. When did you first get this feel that the outdoors was meaningful to you? I grew up in Birmingham and my grandparents were ramblers. And so they took me and my little brother Tom out hiking at the weekends generally in these country parks on the outskirts of Birmingham. And for me as a young boy, I love that sense of escapism, the fresh air, the openness of the countryside. It was a real contrast to living in a city. We used to also go on family holidays once a year to the Lake District, generally to the Keswick area. And my first memory of climbing a hill is going up Cat Bell's which is a wonderful little fell. And I can remember as a little boy, maybe I was six years old, seven years old, that sense of adventure, the views, I just loved it. And ever since then, I've always had this kind of real sense of love for the outdoors and really being drawn towards adventure. Fast forward a few years from those early days of adventure, you founded your own charity 
and working nine to five didn't suit your uh, personality. Yeah, in my 20s, I spent a decade living and working in a city. And it was quite a normal existence, the same as anyone with a normal job. I commuted to work. I worked during the day, sat at a computer, sending emails, um, going to meetings, going back home, having a takeaway and starting all again the next day. It was a good life in some ways there was nothing wrong with it but I felt like something was missing that little boy that loved the great outdoors that loved being active that loved adventure perhaps wouldn't have been happy with the way my life had turned out and it was at the age of 30 that I started to slowly change my life and try and find a a different path. In your book you mention about the fear of change and you write There are so many reasons not to change mortgages, pensions, careers, social expectations, fear of the unknown. Can you tell us a little bit about that feeling you had? Sure. In my 20s, I think I followed all the things that society expects you to follow rather than following my own dreams and following my own passions. So I'd got myself a good job. I'd bought a house. I had a mortgage. I was ticking all the boxes following the advice that people give you but what I'd lost sight of was what I actually love doing what I'm passionate about and it feels really scary to try and change that because I thought if I change my career if I maybe move to the Lake District if I follow some of these passions what does that mean does that mean I'm gonna struggle for money does it mean that I won't be able to stay on the housing market what does it mean about the paying into the pension all these sort of important adult life decisions it's quite a scary thing to change but in truth when I did change it it wasn't as big a deal as it seemed sometimes there's a sort of psychological barrier you have to get over but once you actually do it wasn't as scary as it initially seemed Now, you had a conversation that changed your life forever on a sofa. So I can recall having a conversation about changing my life and took quite a kind of drastic approach. I decided to quit my job in Birmingham to sell my house and to start a fresh new adventure. And the first thing I did was to go travelling around the world and then after that I moved to a farm in the Lake District volunteering on a sheep farm and this was just a kind of gap year in my 30s I didn't do a gap year after school or after university or anything like that so I had this gap year of fun filled adventure and used that as a bit of a gap in my life I guess to rethink about my priorities and see where I wanted to go. Coming from a farming background myself, I'm intrigued to know what your mood was working on a farm. It was amazing. I love the the place. It was beautiful just at the foothills of Bintsey and the Northern Lakes. It was a beautiful landscape. Waking up in it every morning was wonderful. I kind of gained a maybe a slightly deeper connection with that place and that landscape terms of the actual farming I had no idea what I was doing no skills it was really just lending a hand here and there however I could painting fences bit of dry stone walling just really a kind of odd job helping hand Um, it was a wonderful experience completely different to anything I'd ever done in my life and 
what it did do is made me think I love this part of the lakes. Maybe I'd like to live here more permanently. Now, you made this career change, life change, really. And uh, you discovered the fact that you could take on the hills and you thought, right, what list shall I start with? And you decided on the Nuttles. John and Anne Nuttall are great friends of mine. Uh, I've known them for years. Could you start by telling us what a Nuttall actually is? A Nuttall is a mountain in England or Wales that is over 2,000 feet high with a minimum prominence of 50 feet. So it's a mathematical, technical definition of a mountain and it's all summarised in a two-volume book by a couple, John and Anne Nuttall, and it's a very comprehensive list of effectively every mountain in England and Wales that a peak bagger may want to tick off. And how many are there? Well, the number has changed over time to confuse everyone based on when geographers have done more accurate measurements of certain hills. When I did my challenge, there were 446 nuttles. I think the number has gone down slightly since then. They're shrinking. (laughs) (laughs) You believe it or not, some hills are not shrinking, but are being more accurately measured. And therefore, it's a strange one. I see it as a bit like a promotional relegation in a sports context that some of these hills suddenly are promoted and they're in the Premier League they are now mountains but some (laughs) are sadly denied the status when they're found to only be 1,999 feet uh, tall not 2,000. (laughs) So what was it about the Nuttles that uh, triggered your curiosity to have a go? Well there's so many of these different lists and you can really geek out on these peak bagging lists. I looked at the Marilyns, for example. I looked at the Hewitts. I looked at these other different options. The Nuttles, because they have a smaller amount of prominence, there's actually more Nuttles than some of the other lists. And so it seemed like a more comprehensive list to me. So the way that I was thinking back then was, if I say I've climbed all the Nuttles, then I can genuinely say... I've climbed all the mountains in England and Wales. That was where my thinking was going. Now, you set yourself this challenge, but you've got a job, family life. So where did all that fit in? Well, the real motivation was that after going on this gap year, travelling the world, working on the sheep farm, that whole process was almost like boom and bust. I felt like oh, I've had this amazing adventure for a year, but it's completely unsustainable. I've spent loads of money. How do I make this adventurous lifestyle more permanent, more sustainable? So by this time, I'd moved to Cockermouth. I was living in the town. I'd got a job, a part-time job, but I still wanted to really feel like I could go on a big adventure. So I figured out that on my weekends, if I go on these wild camping trips, I can maybe try and tick off all the nuttles across a six-month period just on my days off from work. And the real ethos I had was that I wanted to believe that you could still cram as much adventure into life while having a job and having a normal existence and decided to go for it and see if it could be done. You were camping on the fell, on the hill, and you were doing a lot of driving, so that really this is quite a, a logistical challenge. I've generally found that peak bagging lists are a double-edged sword. 
the negative is that you be, can become a slave to the list. You're trudging up a boring, muddy fell that has few redeeming features. The positive is that you're being inspired to go to new places, to experience new places, to climb hills that you've never climbed before. And so I was driving to lots of places that I'd never been to before. I was going to the North Pennines, to Mid Wales, to mountain ranges in Northern Wales, to the Brecon Beacons, to the Cheviots, to Yorkshire Dale. So many new places that I'd never been to. But that is what I loved about taking on a peak bagging challenge, opening up my world to new adventures, effectively. There is a list of fells and hills that you climbed, and it'd be rather intriguing if you could explain in a few words what those particular groups of hills meant to you, like the Chiviots. Remote and windswept. North Pennines? Oh, I might upset a few people with this one, but <laughs> hard one and boring sorry not wrong they are quite samey yes peak district boggy peat hags that's my main memory lake district idyllic achingly pretty dartmoor i can't think of a few words but i remember the tours being very dramatic and also struck by the military side of dartmoor there were so many signs saying beware of this and beware of that it was a little bit unnerving don't pick anything up yes <laughs> snowdonia dramatic rocky brecon beacons looking back in my book i had a rather terrible experience in the brecon Beacons. some horrendous rainstorms so this is a direct quote the mountains were doing my head in i wanted to scream by the time my Brecon Beacons expedition was over, thank God and good riddance, I'm never, ever, ever returning. So clearly I wasn't very happy at that moment in time. Can be difficult out that way. Did you go with the Carmarthen vans? I did. Yes. Uh, Mid-Wales, what was that like for you? Barren and forgotten, maybe? Yeah, it's, uh, it's often known as the Welsh desert. Mm-hmm. How's about the Yorkshire Dales? Charming and... Green. With envy. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about the the long periods of time you've had in these wild places. Is there any sort of deep connection you can reflect on? Sure. I always found that everyday life was very digitally focused. So in normal life, you're on a laptop for eight hours a day, Then you've got Instagram notifications and WhatsApp notifications buzzing on your phone. And just generally speaking, life can be quite busy, quite hectic, maybe stressful. And I always found the hills a kind of perfect antidote to that. So I would pack my car up, head to the hills, throw on my backpack with my tent in the back and suddenly feel like I escaped all of that I love the fresh air I love the exercise I really feel like it was good for my mental health I think any little everyday problems in life that are buzzing around your head would float away during the course of a walk a kind of calmness and a kind of happiness would descend over me and was that kind of deeper connection I felt almost like it was coming home to a certain extent, being in the fells, I felt a 
deeper connection with nature, with myself. Was that sensation something you felt the longer you were out, it grew? I think so. I think it can maybe take a bit of time to kick in. In the first few hours of a walk or the first evening, you might still be thinking, oh, I've got to do this chore or send that email when I get home. Your mind might still be buzzing with stuff from everyday life. So the longer you're out, the more you can get into the zone of feeling more relaxed, feeling more content, feeling more in tune with nature, I guess. The only flip side, I would say, is that I don't want to paint a kind of overly rose-tinted impression. (laughs) If the weather slams you or if you're feeling really tired and exhausted and wet and battered by wind and rain those positive mental effects can go completely out the window and suddenly it's a whole different experience more akin to survival than having this wonderful zen-like experience in the mountain and uh, it was very h2o dominated It was. I definitely walked through some really horrendous rainstorms and bad weather. I think because I'd set myself this challenge and because I wanted to tick off all these nuttles, I was a a little bit single-minded. I had the blinkers on. I was just going out every weekend, regardless of whether the forecast was good. Maybe I set myself too hectic a schedule, but I am one of these people that found a slight perverse kind of pleasure in being out in the hills in whatever weather, that type two kind of fun, which at the time wasn't the best, but when you get back to the car, you're kind of thinking, oh, I took on Mother Nature for a little period and it was exciting and adventurous, so... I think over time I've forgotten about some of the hardships and how terrible it is waking up in the morning with sodden boots and a wet tent. I do remember more the sun-drenched ridges and the beautiful sunsets and the good times in the hills. And there were plenty of those, but I did go through some hardships and definitely if I recall now can remember thinking what earth am I doing with my life a few times. (laughs) Now you complete the nuttles, and in a record time at that occasion, now you take on the local great fells, the Wainwrights. You already had a deep affection for these fells. I always loved the Wainwrights. I'd actually ticked them off in my 20s just by going on trips to the Lake District. The nuttles in some ways taught me that there are some beautiful mountains and hills in other parts of England and Wales but the best hills are in the Lake District. The Nuttles didn't change my mind on that. They're my favourite set of hills, it's my favourite landscape in the UK. Could you give us a little bit of a a feel for the record you intended break? So I had always read about these runners that complete all of the Wainwrights in a single round, in a single journey, a continuous journey. People like Joss Naylor, Steve Birkenshaw, Sabrina Vergie. And I'd always wondered whether I could do that as a self-supported hike, camping in the fells and visiting all the Wainwrights in one long continuous walk. And I'd read online that someone had done it previously in three weeks and I wanted to give it a go myself And I knew it would be a physical challenge, an endurance expedition. 
I also thought it would perhaps be the ultimate journey on foot through the Lake District to climb every Wainwright Fell in a single journey. It sounded amazing and I wanted to give it a go. You were going to be self-supported. Could you give listeners a bit of a feel for what that actually entailed? When the runners take on these challenges, they have a support crew. They will often have runners pacing for them, running alongside them. They often have a camper van or a support vehicle driving around, giving them food, drinks, sports massages, new pairs of trainers, all the rest of it. I decided that I wanted to do it as a hike, self-supported, which meant that I wouldn't have a support crew, I'd be walking solo the whole time, and ultimately that I'd just be entirely self-reliant, me versus the fells, effectively. Your journey was uh, inspired by uh, somebody who we've had the pleasure of doing an indoor interview, Steve Birkinshaw. And now, did you develop his route? Well, I looked at his route and tried to think of ways to make it more efficient, but he'd done such an incredible, precise and accurate job with it that I couldn't figure out any way to improve it. So I effectively just followed exactly his route. And it's kind of infuriating because you'd see an area where you think, oh, maybe we could do this fell first and do that one later, but you inevitably solve one problem and cause another one and could not figure out any way to improve his route. So he did a stellar job with it. A very computed route. Even if you put it into AI software or something, I don't think it would come up with a better one. (laughs) I would say that it is very much a fell runner's route. So there are some lines of ascent or descent that are pretty gnarly and pretty pathless or going for the direct option they weren't wainwright routes (laughs) (laughs) exactly so it's certainly a challenging route to follow but as i say in terms of efficiency i don't think it can be beaten so your first moves on this journey where do you start the journey and the initial phases of it you start at keswick at moot hall and the idea is that you completing this crazy kind of wiggly circular route around the Lake District and you eventually will get back to Moot Hall. So hand on the door at Moot Hall to start and then hand at the door at Moot Hall to finish. If I recall, the first day was okay because I had good weather and I walked through the fells near Keswick and around Derwent Water and I ended up actually camping in... Millican Dalton's cave um, that first night and overnight a horrendous rainstorm came and after that I faced some quite bad weather for the next few days I was battling through these long days of walking and climbing up as many hills as I could. Sounds as if the elements were testing you right from the word go more or less. They were I guess it was a true Cumbrian experience so yeah I just had to knuckle down and just power through it and it's never a pleasant experience camping when it's raining so that added a layer of hardship to me. Luckily I think after a few days of rain the weather came good again and I found that on this long journey I was incredibly in tune with the weather so my mood was suddenly lifted and so much brighter and I felt so much more positive when the the sun was shining I could see the views the trail ahead seemed positive 
if the clouds were circling, the skies were darkening, suddenly you feel a bit overwhelmed by how far there is to go and struggling with the enormity of the task you're taking on. So it's kind of quite interesting to become very in tune with nature and in tune with the landscape. Did you engage with anybody you encountered? I was self-supported, so I was walking solo, but people in the fells I've always found are very friendly. I would have little chats with people, and every now and then I noticed someone who knew what I was doing or were well-wishers giving me words of encouragement, and that was lovely to have that out in the fells. A wonderful moment as well was later on in the journey, Steve Birkinshaw actually came up when I was in the fells near Blencathra, near where he lives, and he ran out and came to see me and gave me some support and encouraged me to keep going. There's a kind of wonderful camaraderie in the fell running, challenge walking community, and there wasn't any of this sense of, oh, someone else is trying to get this record or someone else is trying to get the limelight there's a real sense of support and I love that Steve came out and just for a few moments gave me that encouragement and that boosted my morale and boosted my spirits and has made me want to pass it on and give advice to other people that I've come across who want to walk the Wainwrights in a single round so it's quite cyclical I think is very supportive and friendly this community of people that like doing these things so that was wonderful to experience. So day 14 where did that lead you? Well I can remember coming over from Dale Head down the ridge along Maiden Moor and towards Cat Bells and round the northern tip of Derwentwater into Keswick so the final leg of my journey it was a real crazy mix of emotions I was proud of what I'd achieved I was kind of happy and felt really grateful for the journey I'd had in the fells I felt like it had given me a different and more unique and intimate experience and relationship with the Lakeland fells also felt like I'd been absolutely battered and broken slightly by the journey so it was loads of positives and negatives all at the same time it was a crazy mix of emotions and I had a few friends and family there supporting me my dad had come up from Birmingham as a surprise I didn't know he'd be there so he was congratulating me and it was just a nice moment it can be an emotion that only you can feel as well having done a lot of these journeys I try not to expect too much from the finish line because it can easily become an anticlimax. It's something that you can fixate on for so long. You think it's going to be this magical, wonderful moment and you can put too much emphasis on it. So I learned over the course of many challenges to look forward to the end, to enjoy it and to be in the moment, but also to remember that it's all about the journey as well. I know that's a total cliche, but that has meant that I haven't been left disappointed or had this sense of anticlimax on the finish line. The one thing I was disappointed about was that when you finish a Lake District round, apparently you can get a free pint in the pub with the round, but I finished late at night and it was closed, so I didn't get the free pint. <laughs> Gutted. <laughs> was there any kind of celebration, especially with your dad there? I let my dad buy me a pizza, so I ate a pizza sitting on a bench just in Keswick High Street. That was 
what I'd been looking forward to for so long after eating camp meals for 14 days. <laughs> and it was quite simple. I just went home, had a bath, I can remember, a bubble bath, Oof. which I actually hadn't had oh. a sh- shower or washed for 14 days. So <sighs> that was the best bath of my life. And just got an early night, so it's just food, washing myself and going to bed. When you go on a back-to-basics wild camping adventure, the simple things in life become quite amazing. So just washing, sleeping in my own bed, not on a camping mat, and just being able to eat pizza rather than spaghetti bolognese in an expedition meal pouch, all of that was just magical to me. A journey like that with majestic fells was the one absolutely amazing moment and in reverse was the one really low point. The best moment I can recall was when the weather came good in the middle and I can remember wild camping atop Holmfell and had a lovely spot. I was cooking up some food, my pot was bubbling away, I had my tent set up. The sun was setting, the sky was swirling, beautiful pinks and orangey colours. You had an amazing view of the Langdale Pike skyline, which I love. I think it's so distinctive. Over the birch trees. Yeah, that was a moment that I can remember feeling really content and happy and thinking, I'm making this dream come true, I'm doing this crazy adventure, it's really happening. The flip side... I think I remember coming over from Kidsty Pike and down the fells towards Oldswater, some just horrendous rain being absolutely battered and plodding on by myself. At that point, I was just feeling really miserable, like I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want another day of this bad weather. That was when my emotions were a roller coaster and I was in a real dip and feeling quite low. So that just required a bit of mental resilience to kind of come out the other end of that now you've uh, told us about these two incredible adventures and there's been many other adventures you've undertaken so it's time for some reflections and you have this quote in your book i was hopelessly and utterly in love with hiking what is it about walking for you I'm a person that enjoys the exercise. I like feeling like I'm moving, that I'm being fit, that I'm being healthy. I get a buzz from all of that. But I also love the the tranquility, the escapism, the freedom of the fells. And hiking just kind of struck that perfect balance for me between the two. I think I love the pace of walking. It's kind of fast enough that you can travel a good distance, see a good amount of a landscape, but it's slow enough as well that you can take things in, that you don't miss things, that you can reflect, you can have quiet moments. So for me, it was all about that perfect compromise, I think. And you say, my mountain challenge has changed me for good. Can you articulate on that? Through those years when I was unhappy with the life I'd created for myself, I'd perhaps become a little bit of a negative person because I was a bit down, a bit depressed about my general life. I'd become a bit of a glass, half-empty kind of a guy, struggling a bit with my mental health, for example, and going on these adventures and spending more time in the fells, I think just rebalanced me, brought a bit more equilibrium to my life and I suddenly felt more content, my mental health was better, I was able to 
cope with the little bumps along the road that life throws at you in a more positive and balanced way. And I just think in general, it really just brought me more equilibrium. It helped me become a more rounded person, feeling excited and happy about the future. And that was all part of this kind of wider journey of following my passions, following my dreams. There is a fascinating quote in your book, and I'm just going to read it out. After so many peaks, I felt somewhat jaded. My love for mountains was still there, but it was somehow different. It was a deeper, closer, more intimate love, rather than an uncontrollable excitement. Talk to me more about that changing relationship. I've really noticed that significantly after moving to the Lake District as well. So when I lived in Birmingham, a weekend away in the Lake District with a journey to this land, this place of incredible adventure and everywhere was new, everywhere was exciting for me. Now living here, I have this kind of, you don't get those butterflies in the stomach. It's not as wildly exciting or different to me but I have this deeper connection I could walk up Hope Gill Head that we've talked about before and I might have done it 20 30 however many times before and so there's nothing new there's nothing that is going to surprise me but I'm going to get more this sense of almost like coming home in a way it's just very very different but it feels more real it feels more substantial it feels more long term that sense of connection and you ask a lot of difficult questions in your book and you say was adventure just an elaborate ruse for running away from everyday problems it's an interesting thought. For a while, I always thought that adventure was the solution to some of these struggles. I was having this bit of depression, this bit of anxiety, these struggles and feeling down about my life. And I thought adventure was like a solution. It was a kind of magic wand that I could wave at these problems and that it would solve everything and adventure was amazing for it but it doesn't mean that it can work miracles or it can solve everything and I I learned over time that adventure is just one tool that spending time outdoors being connected to nature is brilliant for my mental health but equally there are other things you can do I think I was maybe a bit naive at the beginning of my journey thinking that adventure like I say was a magic wand that would solve all of life's problems but it could never be that it needs to be just one string to a bow one tool in your toolkit to help build a kind of better life and so I like to think of it now as as just part of a a number of strategies rather than a catch-all fix-all solution. It's a repertoire in other words. Exactly. All your early expeditions up to comparatively recently you did solo you were very much self-supporting you were thinking about yourself you were being yourself now things are different because Nicola Hardy's with you and you've got a real companion who shares your passion for these wild places and can you express how different it is between solo adventures and working with Nicola? Of course. I think I always loved the solo adventures because I felt with them you get a deeper sense of tranquility, maybe getting into this zen-like state of relaxation comes easier if you're alone. 
The downside is that it can potentially become a bit lonely. You just have all day only with your own thoughts. And I think after doing all of the Nuttles and the 273 Vandeleur Linums in Ireland all by myself, I was maybe <laughs> reached my limit of solo hiking. And Nick and I actually walked all of the Munros together and it's amazing having a companion to share those adventures with obviously it's nice to have someone to talk to to reflect on how you're feeling to help the miles go and I've been really lucky to find someone to share the adventures with but I still enjoy solo adventures even now I I like both I think There's something certainly to be said for going on a walk by yourself. I think a lot of people might think, oh, would I find it boring? Would I find it lonely? What on earth is going to go through my mind? But it can be a very therapeutic process, I think. And I think everyone should try it. You don't quite know how you might find it. It might give you that kicking leaves time to process thoughts to let worries float away to rebalance and i think it is great if you were able to go back to advise the james forrest of say let's say 26 in a job that he was really not loving what advice can you with the sage-like perspective you've got in your great age now (laughs) (laughs) what would you say to your younger self The advice I would give would be to not worry about what other people think, what other people's expectations are, and to focus on what you're passionate about, what your dreams are, and to try and create the life that you want to build. And also to not fear the change. I think I spent a lot of time knowing that I wanted to change something, but inaccurately thinking that making these changes was going to be such an upheaval that the change was going to be so significant so scary but in truth that wasn't right that actually once you make those changes it didn't seem as significant or life-altering or life-changing in an irreversible way now, uh, it's time for quick fires, and it's a great opportunity to get some instant reactions from you. What is your favourite view? I think I'd have to say over Wast Water from Great Gable. Maybe even on the Climber's Traverse near Sphinx Rock, looking down Wast Water towards the coast, the lake stretching out into the distance. Fabulous. That's a good one. Uh, which season of the Lake District year do you love most of all? Spring, because it's longer days, better weather, there's hope in the air. I just love it for those reasons. Have you a favourite Lakeland pub? My favourite Lakeland pub is the Kirkstyle Inn at the base of Melbrake. It's just a great historic inn. Nice interior with the fire going, there's lovely food. And if you get a sunny day, you can be out in the beer garden, you can look straight at Melbrake. It looks really dramatic, almost as if you couldn't climb it from that beer garden. Just a wonderful place, that's my favourite. Lovely view towards Grassmore as well, isn't it? Indeed. Talking of food, have you a favourite Lakeland food? Grassmere gingerbread. I don't know what it is about it. It's the, like, perfect 
mix of like crunchy and chewy and uh, can't a... go to grass me without buying some. <laughs> that's like a very good advert for so, uh, very... <laughs> trying to get some hopefully they'll send me a free pack oh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> if you were sent to desert island which cumbrian or lakeland book would you take with you i would probably like to take my set of the wainwright books that might sound odd because they are guidebooks generally used when you're going walking, but I actually love to read them. I think Wainwright's poetic style is really amazing as a excellent turn of phrase, and there's a lot of humour in them. You find these hidden gems, so I think those books more than any would transport me back to Lake District if I was in a far-flung land, mentally bring me back to this landscape that I love, so I'd take them. If you were Prime Minister for just one day, is there one thing you'd do to safeguard the landscape and heritage of the Lake District? Very interesting question. What I love about the Lake District is the fells, the open countryside, and I want that to be protected, I want that to be nurtured I want that to be saved for future generations and so I just like to see that put at the forefront of the minds of policy makers and I really hope that we don't lose what is really special about the way the Lake District is now. I don't want to see the Lake District turned into a theme park for adventure with zip lines and crazy adventurous things. I I think it should be a place for hiking and enjoyable walking in the fells that's what it's all about for me what is the unique magic of the lake district i think for me it's something personal it's linked to my family history it's about where i used to come as a kid so i have this childlike love for the landscapes it has a very personal meaning for me but i also think for anyone visiting the lake district it's that perfect combination of the high fells the rugged wild mountains but then the worked landscape the incredibly pretty cottages the little villages the sheep farms with the tractor tootling through the fields that kind of combination of humans impact on the landscape and then the the high fells is just incredibly idyllic it's like a postcard and it's just a perfect combination for me when the time comes and a few friends gather to reflect on your life is there some place that is most meaningful for you somewhere in the lakeland fells maybe high in the fells i've talked a lot about hope gilhead a place that has a a meaning for me also about cat bells because it's the first hill i ever climbed as a little boy i think somewhere in this landscape that means a lot to me that has special meaning that would be a very apt place to choose Well, that was rather good, Mark. Very good. I mean, I feel kind of exhausted having listened to it all. <laughs> yes, I've slumped in my seat. I'm uh, amazed by the calibre and uh, commitment and life-changing story that we've just heard. Yeah, it's really inspiring, isn't it? 
there's a kind of generation of younger people who've come up, moved up to the lakes now, who have similar stories. You know, we spoke to the fell foodie, to Harrison, a few weeks ago, and how do I live my real life? You know, I think that's what we're talking about here, and... I don't know how you feel about it, Mark, but I mean, that's kind of my story a bit longer ago, perhaps, but the draw of the hills was what brought me up here. It's the same with me. I, mm. I'd lived in the Cotswolds, I'd worked on a farm, and it was a complete life, but the draw of the hills was always there. And the Lake District is, as James has told us, is the embodiment of all that's wonderful in mountains. Yeah, absolutely right. One of the many parts of the interview that I loved, um, and actually one of the parts of the book that I found most interesting, was when James talks very articulately, I think, about changing relationship with the fells. Because I think that is true, isn't it? When you first come up, he's quite explicit in the book, you know, he says, your first relationship is almost like a one-night stand, you know, this great excitement, getting to know something for the first time, the butterflies in the stomach moment. And that does change over time, doesn't it? I mean, I do, how do you feel about that? Oh, yes, the more you get into the fells, the more enriched you are by them, and the more you become like a native, the fells are part and parcel of who you are. Sure. Uh, you become a mountain man. We're all mountain men, but... James has written the book, he's written the book. Which, which we should mention um, <laughs> absolutely right I've really enjoyed this book I mean there's quite a lot of books that cover similar territory I have to say this is much better written than most of them and I related to a lot of it really enjoyed it he's very honest about some of the uh, hills around the country uh, never going back to the Brecon Beacons there we go <laughs> never ever 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 I think is the quote and next up I think well we've got a couple lined up we're going to go to Windermere to talk about boats of Windermere and the, the history of boating on the lake. That'd be interesting. Uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, mm. we, we haven't really spoken much about boats. We did on Coniston Water, but uh, we, our Very next one is actually going to be about Quakers, I believe. I really hope so. Yeah, Quakerism has a huge and very important history in Cumbria, specifically. Incredible. And we've got um, Dr Angus Winchester, alumni of uh, not only Country Stride, actually, but Country Stride Live, where his talk went down very well about um, field names. Um, I mean, he's brilliant, is Angus, and there is no better guide uh, oh, absolutely. to talk to and us he's a, about. He's a cockamuth man himself. That is true. Yeah, that's a, that's a good link. We'll sign off now. The usual housekeeping. If you want to support us, and it does cost money to keep this show on the road... Uh, you can do it in one of three ways. You can buy any one of our guidebooks, www.countrystride.co.uk. You can mention us to family and friends. The higher we climb the algorithms, the more something happens that's good, I believe. <laughs> Thirdly, and probably best of all, you can donate as little as £2 a month to us via Patreon. Again, you can find details about that, www.countrystride.co.uk. We're on episode... This is 118... For all 117 previous episodes, again, go to our website. Thanks very much for joining us today. I had an absolute blast listening to James's recollections of big hill walks. It's giving me itchy feet. Better get outside when the rain laments. And that's us signing off from today's Country Strike. See you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>